and Kendra for your ministry and music. If you could please turn with me to our scripture passage for this morning. It's from the book of Romans, chapter 8. We'll be looking at verses 18 through 27. Again, that's Romans chapter 8, verses 18 through 27. Romans chapter 8, the page number for this passage is 1,201 in the Bibles that are found under your pews. Romans chapter 8, and I'll begin at verse 18. It reads, For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that is to be revealed to us. For the creation waits with eager longing for the revealing of the sons of God. For the creation was subject, subjected to futility, not willingly, but because of him who subjected it in hope, that the creation itself will be set free from its bondage to corruption and obtain the freedom of the glory of the children of God. For we know that the whole creation has been groaning together in the pains of childbirth until now. And not only the creation, but we ourselves, who have the first fruits of the Spirit, groan inwardly as we wait eagerly for adoption as sons or redemption of our bodies. For in this hope we were saved. Now hope that is seen is not hope. For who hopes for what he sees? But if we hope for what we do not see, we wait for it with patience. Likewise, the Spirit helps us in our weakness. For we do not know what to pray for as we ought, but the Spirit himself intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words. And he who searches hearts knows what is in the mind of the Spirit, because the Spirit intercedes for the saints according to the will of God. The world and all of life as we know it is filled with suffering and heartache. And the ultimate reason for that suffering and heartache is because of the fall, because of the sin of mankind. This entire world is under a curse. However, one day that suffering is going to be done away with. One day, all is going to be made right. And so we live our lives today in eager anticipation of that day when all suffering will come to an end. In Romans chapter 8, verse 18, we have what is the key verse for this particular section. And that is, for I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that is to be revealed to us. The thought is that the suffering of today cannot be compared with the joy and the glory and the delight of tomorrow. This morning, though, we are going to focus on the today. We're going to focus on the suffering and the suffering in light of a future deliverance. We find in this passage that there is a great interconnectedness with mankind's sin and the suffering that exists in all of creation. In our text, there is a key word 
And the word is that is of groaning. Groaning. In this text, we learn that the entire creation groans. Look at verse 22. If you are one who circles your Bible or makes annotations, I'd encourage you to circle the word groaning. Verse 22. For we know that the whole creation has been groaning together in the pains of childbirth until now. The people of God groan, verse 23. And not only the creation, but we ourselves, who have the first fruits of the Spirit, groan inwardly. Circle the word groan. Verse 26, the Holy Spirit groans. Likewise, the Spirit helps us in our weakness, for we do not know what to pray for as we ought, but the Spirit himself intercedes for us with groanings. Circle it, same word. Too deep for words. So because of this suffering, creation groans, believers groan, and even the Holy Spirit groans. So this morning we want to look at the interconnectedness of these groanings. I've decided to look at all these verses as a whole, which means we can't look at them as much detail as if we went slower through this passage. I was debating whether to divide that into three sections and look at each section's groaning, but I decided to take it as a whole. So the theme this morning is the groanings for deliverance in the midst of our present sufferings. The first point is the entire creation groans as it waits for its coming deliverance. The entire creation groans as it waits for its coming deliverance, verse 22. For we know that the whole creation has been groaning together in the pains of childbirth until now. The entire creation is anticipating a deliverance from its present suffering, verse 19. For the creation waits with eager longing for the revealing of the sons of God. That waiting with eager longing means with bated breath, with great expectation. It's craning its necks, as it were. Craning its necks to take a glimpse of the son of, sons of God in all their future glory. Creation just can't wait to be delivered from its bondage, from its corruption. For notice the reason for the creation's groaning is found in verse 20. Creation is suffering because it's been frustrated in filling the purpose for which it has been created. Verse 20. For the creation was subjected to futility. To futility. Futility is frustration. It's purposelessness. It's aimlessness. When God had created all things, after each day of creation, God said, it is good. It is good. It is good. And when God was saying that it is good, he was saying that the creation was made with a purpose, and the way in which he made it enabled creation to fulfill that purpose. It was good. Like we talk about a good car, a car that's reliable, a car that will get us from point A to point B. Creation was good in the sense that it would accomplish all that God had intended for creation to accomplish. And there are many things that we can look at that creation was to accomplish, but two in particular is that creation was to be a dwelling place for mankind, an ideal place of which he could uh, till the garden and be able to prosper and develop and grow and be in a unique and precious relationship with God. The second purpose was to show forth the glory of God. 
Psalm 19 7 says, The heavens declare the glory of God. The firmament showeth forth his handiwork. Day unto day utter a speech. Night unto night showeth forth knowledge. Creation showed the, the wonderful handiwork of God. It showed the character of God, as we saw in Romans chapter 1. For the invisible things of him are, cre of him are clearly seen by the things that are made. So it was to reveal the glory of God. But creation was frustrated. It says it was subjected to futility. And it was God who frustrated creation in fulfilling its purpose because of mankind's sinfulness. God subjected the earth when he brought a curse upon it because of Adam's sin. If you remember in the book of Genesis, Adam was created and told that he could eat from the tree of, uh, any tree of the garden except for one, the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, for the day that you eatest thou of thou shalt surely die. Well, Adam and Eve ate of that tree, and as a result, a curse came into this world, a curse upon all of creation, including the earth. And in Genesis chapter 3, verse 17, it reads as follows. To Adam he said, because you have listened to the voice of your wife and have eaten of the tree, which I commanded you, you should not eat of it, cursed is the ground because of you. In pain you shall eat of it all the days of your life. Thorns and thistles it shall bring forth unto you. So now we live in this polluted world, this world that even manifests the effects of sin through these weeds and thistles and hardships that have come upon the earth and fulfilling its purpose for which God had created it. Originally, it would just bring forth fruit abundantly, but now it suffers, suffers with thorns and thistles. All of creation was affected by the curse that came upon mankind, verse 22. For we know that the whole creation has been groaning together. Key word there is groaning together. The groaning together is in groaning along with mankind. Creation is suffering right along with mankind because mankind was given dominion over this earth and his sin has affected it drastically. It says in verse 22, in the pains of childbirth unto now. This is used in a, both a, a figurative and literal sense. Not only was there a curse that came upon Adam and a curse that came upon the ground, but there was a curse that came upon Eve. Genesis chapter 3, verse 16, to the woman he said, I will surely multiply your pain in childbearing. In pain you shall bring forth children. So one of the consequences of the fall was that there would be a pain in what would have been a normal and wonderful birth process. But now there's going to be pain and hardship associated with giving birth. So in a figurative sense, the earth gives birth, giving thorns and thistles, but sharing in that curse that came because of mankind's sin. And we, even as believers who are born again, are suffering even in that whole process of becoming sons of God because of this curse that's upon this world. But creation has the expectation of a future hope at the end of verse 20. The creation was subject to futility, not willingly, but because of him who subjected it in hope. Just as all of creation shared in the effects of the fall, 
so too all of creation will share in the removal of the, uh, in the benefits of the removal of the curse. Verse 21, the creation itself will be set free from its bondage to corruption. Someday there will be a tremendous transformation of this earth as we now know it. Someday there will be no more pollution. There will be no more thistles. There will be no more thorns. There will be no more of the tangible manifestations of sin on the world around us as we know it. Just as creation experienced suffering in connection with the fall, so too creation experiences deliverance right along with the children of God. Notice verse 21, the second half. And obtain the freedom of the glory of the children of God. So the creation is going to share in the redemptive work of the Lord Jesus Christ on behalf of, of mankind. God is going to remove all aspects of the curse. When the curse is ultimately and finally removed from mankind, when we no longer experience any of the effects of our sinfulness, so too all of creation is released from the effects of the curse. Many of you know my favorite hymn is Joy to the World. And one of the reasons I just love that hymn, and it's a hymn really of the second coming of the Lord Jesus Christ, not his initial birth, but when he comes back in glory to reign. One of the verses is, No more let sins and sorrows grow, nor thorns infest the ground. He comes to make his blessings flow far as the curse is found. All of the curse of man's sin is going to be done away. And right now, the scripture says, the earth is suffering. It's groaning. It's moaning. It's in pain. And it's waiting with eager expectation of a day in which it's going to be free from the effects of mankind's sin. Which brings us to a consideration of the groanings for deliverance by the adopted children of God. We as well as all of creation are anticipating deliverance from our present suffering. Why do we groan? We groan in our bodies as we await the resurrection and the blessings associated with it, verse 23. And not only the creation, but we ourselves, who have the first fruits of the Spirit, groan inwardly. There is this inner groaning, and there's a context of groaning in our bodies. And that groaning is physical in nature. It's, it's, we have disease, we have hardship, we have difficulty. But it's also the groaning that results, even as the Apostle Paul described in the chapter before, those things that I would not are the things that I do, those things that I do are things that I would not. There is this groaning for a, a greater spiritual development and perfection. There's this groaning to be rid of sin in its fullness. So in these bodies we groan. Second Corinthians says this, Meanwhile, we groan, longing to be clothed with our heavenly dwelling, because when we are clothed, we will not be found naked. For while we are in this tent, this temporary body, we groan and are burdened because we do not wish to be unclothed, but to be clothed with our heavenly dwelling, so that what is mortal may be swallowed up by life. The Holy Spirit has begun a work of transformation in our hearts and lives, verse 23. It says, 
not only the creation, but we ourselves, <clears throat> now this phrase, who have the first fruits of the Spirit. We have the down payment, if you will, the first installment of all the riches and blessings that are going to come to us in our salvation in the Lord Jesus Christ. We are told in Ephesians chapter 1 that we are blessed with all spiritual blessings in the heavenly places in Christ, according as he has chosen us in him before the foundation of the world. We have this incredible inheritance in the heavenly places. And right now we have a down payment. Right now we have a deposit. And we have a present working of the Spirit of God, which he refers to as the first fruits. The first fruits. But there is more that awaits us. Verse 23, we groan inwardly as we await eagerly. Same picture. Creation is waiting with craning necks. Can't wait to see this deliverance. We wait in anticipation of this deliverance from all our suffering and hardships and difficulties. We are the adopted sons of God, but now the benefits of that sonship have not been fully realized. For notice what it says in verse 23, we wait eagerly for what? Adoption as sons. Right now we live a slow and painful death. We all know the aches and pains of our bodies growing older. But there's much more to it than that. There is this struggle against sin. There is this desire to live holy lives that we aren't living. So we moan, we groan. We're frustrated, even as creation is frustrated in fulfilling the purpose for which we have been created, to bring glory to God and to enjoy fellowship with him. And yet we find it broken time and time again, and we fail to glorify him as we should. There are the thistles and thorns in our own lives that are causing it hard to be what God wants us to be. As a result, our lives lose meaning. They lose purpose. They lose dignity. They lose joy. And when that meaning and purpose has been restored in Christ, then we can identify with all of creation that experiences those thorns and those thistles and those frustrations. We can identify that we still struggle against sin. And yes, there are things that we do not do that we, we do and things that we wish that we would do we don't do. It's miserable to live in a fallen world, but that's the world that we live in. The blessings of deliverance are associated with, given to us when we experience our resurrection bodies. End of verse 23. We wait eagerly for adoption as sons, the redemption of our bodies. First Corinthians says this, Behold, I show you a mystery. We shall not all sleep, but we shall all be changed. In a moment, in the twinkling of an eye, at the last trump, for the trumpet will sound, and the dead will be raised imperishable, and we shall be changed. For this perishable must put on imperishable, and this mortal body must put on immortality. When the perishable puts on the imperishable, and when the mortal puts on immortality, then shall come to pass the saying that is written, Death is swallowed up in victory. O death, where is your victory? O death, where is your sting? The sting of death is sin. And the power of sin is the law, but thanks be to God who gives us victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. When Jesus Christ returns to this earth, our bodies are going to be raised, and they're going to be new bodies. They're going to be different bodies. They're going to be bodies that are going to be free of pain and hardship and misery because of the grace of God for the environment in which we live.
in which he is going to remove every tear and every uh, heartache from our lives. The believer has hope, just as creation has hope. For it tells us in verse 24, for in this hope we were saved. That is, we were saved to have this hope. That hope has not yet been experienced, verse 24. Now hope that is seen is not hope. We, along with all of creation, must live in anticipation of that deliverance. We must have patience, verse 25. For if we hope for what we do not see, we wait for it with patience. So there is this patience in the midst of suffering. There is this understanding that as long as I'm in this body, as long as I'm in this life, until Jesus Christ returns, there is suffering. There is hardship. There is difficulty. Physically, emotionally, and spiritually. The third consideration is that of the groaning of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit groans on behalf of the adopted children of God. The Holy Spirit also groans, verse 26. Likewise, the Spirit helps us in our weakness. For we do not know what to pray for as we ought, but the Spirit himself intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words. In verse 26, it begins with the word likewise. Likewise. In the same way, it points back to verse 23. And not only the creation, but we ourselves. So there's this interconnectedness. Creation. Ourselves. And even the Holy Spirit. All are groaning together. There's this interconnectedness of mankind's sin that affects, yes, even the Holy Spirit. Who enters into this groaning of creation and enters into the groaning of mankind so that now it grows groans also but the holy spirit groans on our behalf for notice verse 26 but we do not know what we pray for as we ought but the spirit himself intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words so the groaning is in place of our groaning or on behalf of our groaning. The Holy Spirit groans as a means of helping us, verse 26. Likewise, the Spirit helps us. This word for help, the verb is quite well known in the ancient world in the sense that it means to take part with, assist in supporting, lend a hand, come to the aid of. So the Holy Spirit is coming to assist us to enter into the very same groanings that we groan. He's come to aid us in our suffering. To help us in our weakness, it says. Verse 26. The weakness points back to Romans chapter 8, verse 3. For God has done what the law, weakened by the flesh, could not do. Our flesh is weak. Our flesh cannot live a righteous life. And that flesh simply means our, our fallen humanity. In our fallen humanity, we are weak in our emotions, in our wills, in our intellect. We can't live the righteous life that God intends us to live because 
we are incapable of doing so. We are, as the Bible refers to, as weak. So the Holy Spirit has come to help us in that weakness, in our emotions, in our will, in our intellect, in our resolve, in our commitment to live for Jesus Christ. He is going to help us. He's going to enter into that suffering and that groaning that we all experience to help us to live more righteous and holy lives. So the weakness speaks of the totality of the human condition. If you remember, just prior to the crucifixion, Jesus had told Peter that Peter was going to deny the Lord three times. Peter said, I will never deny you. I am willing to die for you. And of course, you remember the famous words of Jesus, the spirit is willing but the flesh is weak. Yes, there is that desire in your heart. What Peter was saying was genuine. He really thought that he was so committed that he would give his life for Jesus Christ if, if that's what it required. And he even evidenced to that some, to some degree when he took a sword and was willing to lop off the ear of uh, Malchus, uh, when Jesus was being arrested, but when it came down to actually identifying with Jesus Christ, he in fact did deny Jesus three times. So that weakness extends to every facet of our lives. But now our text zeroes in on one aspect of that weakness. One aspect of our limitations one aspect of our inability. This doesn't exhaust the Holy Spirit's help. And this doesn't exhaust our weakness, but it focuses and identifies our weakness so that we can better understand the Holy Spirit's help and guidance in this way. The focus is on our weakness as it relates to prayer. And the weakness in prayer includes a lot of things why we need to pray, how we need to pray, what we need to pray. If you notice in verse 26, it says, Likewise, the Spirit helps us in our weakness, for we do not know what to pray. That's translated in different ways in different translations. We don't know what to pray, we don't know how to pray. <clears throat> that relative pronoun could be translated, who know what or why. Any of those would be legitimate uh, translations. It's talking about the whole facet of, of prayer. We'll go with the ESV this morning and limit some of our discussions uh, to this aspect of we do not know what to pray for as we ought. We don't know how to give expression to our thoughts as we'd like to. This is found in verse 26 where it says that uh, he himself uh, bears with us with groanings too deep for words. Um, sometimes we, have it, we find it difficult to put uh, words to our, our thoughts. Uh, sometimes we can't identify, uh, even with our own heart's emotions, 
I'm sure you can uh, identify with the idea that sometimes you've been discouraged or even down. Or or you, you just don't, you just feel miserable, not physically, but just emotionally. And somebody may say to you, what's wrong? And you don't really even know how to respond to that because you don't know why I'm upset. Sometimes it seems like I'm unrealistically upset, upset, unduly upset. And you get angry with yourself. I don't know why I'm upset. I don't know why I'm in a bad mood. But I'm in a bad mood. And then there are things that that we would like to express, uh, things that we would like to put into words. And we we, we just are not artful enough. (laughs) We're, We're limited uh, we, we, we can't speak with the beauty. We, we can't express the innermost desires of our heart. And the scripture says that the Holy Spirit intercedes for us. We are told that the Lord knows our thoughts even afar off. Meaning that even before we think them, God knows what we think even before we think them. God knows what we think. That's an incredible blessing. For God searches the hearts and knows the mind. He understands us in ways that we don't even understand ourselves. When I was a child, I spoke extremely late. I didn't speak till I was three years old. I've made up for it since. But... I was a very late bloomer. They took me for tests and tried to find out if I was deaf or why it was that I didn't speak. And uh, I didn't really see a need to speak. Uh, But I remember one day, I was uh, sitting on my mother's lap, crying, because I had an incredibly bad earache. And I was crying, and I was crying, and I was crying. And my mother knew that there was something that was upset, and... You know, she didn't know what, and she was getting to her wit's end. And finally, she said to me, put your hand where it hurts. Well, immediately, my hand went to my ear, and then she realized I had an earache. But I can remember, okay, because I didn't speak till I was three. I remember that like it was yesterday. Because this incredible thought went through my mind. She didn't know where I hurt. I just assumed my mother knew everything. I just assumed that if I was crying, she would fix it. But she had limits. But once I put my hand to my ear, then restoration started to come. Then healing started to take place. Well, it's a wonderful thing that God knows all things. He knows our hearts. The second idea is that we don't pray for things as we ought. We don't fully understand God's will for our lives. Verse 27, And he who searches the hearts knows what is the mind of the Spirit, because the Spirit intercedes for the saints according to the will of God. We don't know how to practice the will of God. We don't know how to live the way that we should. We, like creation, are frustrated in fulfilling the purpose for which God has created us. So the Holy Spirit prays for us with intercedings according to the will of God. 
Maybe to help us understand this, I have an illustration. We have a weakness. We have an inability. We have an immaturity, if you will, when it comes to prayer. So here's my illustration. Anyone who has children, and if you are a believer and want to help your children, you can relate to the aspect of teaching your children how to pray. That whole aspect of teaching your children what to say, who to address, what are appropriate and inappropriate requests, what are just purely selfish, and and you guide them. Well, we just saw last week that we have an incredible privilege And that is, we can cry unto our Heavenly Father as Abba, Father. That's where we left off last week. We can cry out, Abba, Father, Daddy, Father. Used only once in all the New Testament of Jesus when he's in the Garden of Gethsemane. When he's suffering. And says, let this cup pass from me. But if not, my will but yours. And he cries out to Abba, Father deliverance. Daddy. Well, when we have this incredible privilege of prayer that we can come to, to God as our, as our daddy, the Holy Spirit is at work in teaching us how to pray. What are the kinds of things that we need to pray for? What is the way in which we need to address our, our Father? What should our greatest concerns be at that moment? So the Holy Spirit is in this process of teaching us how to develop and grow in our relationship with God the Father. How we're to pray. He teaches us how to pray. But there's a second thought in these verses that is equally wonderful, if not greater. And that is not only does he teach us how to pray, but he prays along with us or in addition to us. For it says that he prays with groanings that cannot be uttered. These are not our prayers at this point. These are the Holy Spirit's prayers for us, interceding for us. So back to my illustration of a parent. So a parent not only teaches their children how to pray and who to address and what are appropriate prayers and what are inappropriate prayers. But a parent doesn't stop there. A parent also prays for their children. A parent also is interceding, asking for God's blessing for them, praying for things that are way in advance. I remember when my daughters were infants, I was praying that God would give them godly husbands. When they were infants, I was praying that they would come to know the Lord Jesus Christ as their Savior. When they were infants, long before they were praying, long before I taught them how to pray and what to pray for, I was praying that their lives would be dedicated to the honor and glory of God. I was praying for them. This passage teaches us that the Holy Spirit is praying for us. And it tells us 
specifically that he is interceding with us uh, according to the will of God. Verse 27. He who searches the hearts and knows what is the mind of the Spirit because of the Spirit intercedes for the saints according to the will of God. He's praying for us that we would experience, know, and fulfill the will of God. As we are struggling, as we are groaning in our inabilities to do what God would have us to do, the Holy Spirit is groaning right along with us to help us and to pray for us that we would do that very will of God. And that will is found in verse 29. For whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his Son. To be like Christ in our sufferings, in our miseries, in our hardships. And so we can be assured in verse 28. We know that all things... Excuse me, let me stick with the ESV. And we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good. For those who are called according to his spirit. And one of the reasons we know is because the Holy Spirit is interceding for us according to the will of the Father. And God hears the prayers of the Holy Spirit. Presently, we live in a fallen world. Our sin has affected everything around us. This fallen world has been totally affected by our sin. Right now, that sin is producing suffering and frustration on all of our parts and in all of our experiences. Everything's been tainted by sins. All of our relationships, our work, our endeavors, our abilities, our talents, our intellect, all of it has been tainted. All of it has been weakened as a result of our sin. And it just means there are so many reasons for groaning and moaning. And there's this anguish, emotional, spiritual, physical anguish, in which we long to be delivered from these sufferings. We long to be delivered from these anxieties. We long to be out of this grief and misery and heartache. And the scripture says, but we have hope. We have hope. Because one day it will all end. All suffering is going to be done away with. All sin. Every aspect of the curse. Totally removed from every aspect of creation. As far as the curse is found, it's going to be done away with. And so we look with great anticipation to that day when we are fully adopted as sons of God. Our bodies are redeemed. And the suffering is over. But right now, right now, we live our lives with patience, in hope, and in the help of the Holy Spirit, who is helping us to pray, 
And additionally, who's praying for us to know and experience to fulfill God's purpose for our lives. God has not left us alone. God has blessed us with the first fruits of the work of the Holy Spirit in our lives. Let's pray. Almighty God, we, we thank you. We thank you, our Father, for the redemption that is ours in the person of the Lord Jesus Christ. That our sins are forgiven. We have peace with God. Lord, we, we realize we still live in a fallen world. And sin manifests itself all around us and within us. We can see the frustrations of creation and all of its pollution. And all of its misery. But Lord, we certainly see it in our own lives. As our relationships are tainted with sin. As our work is done not ultimately, completely fulfilling your purpose and, and glory. We're, we're frustrated in the same way that this, this earth is frustrated. Lord, we long for a day to be free from sin and all of its consequences, its presence, its reality. We thank you that that day is coming. And Lord, we are grateful that even now in the midst of our sufferings, you help us to pray. You are teaching us we are growing. We who have this wonderful privilege of crying out as Abba Father, as little children, you're teaching us more how to pray, how to submit to the will of the Father, how to request help and strength, to recognize our weaknesses, praying that you would increase our understanding, that, Lord, you'd guard us from the evil one, that you would protect us, that you would give us greater resolve and commitment, that you would remove anxiety and fear, you would help us to trust and delight and hope in you. That you'd give us a fuller, deeper, richer understanding of your word. A more intimate relationship with the Spirit of God. And Lord, we thank you for the Holy Spirit. Who intercedes for every child of God. Who's praying for us. That God's will would be accomplished and fulfilled in our lives. And we are grateful, O oh God, for the full assurance that one day we will be in your presence because of the work of the Lord Jesus Christ, because of the work of the Holy Spirit, because of the work of God the Father. So, Lord, help us in the midst of our sufferings. Give us hope, and may we learn that the present sufferings cannot be compared to the future glory that's going to be revealed in us. For it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.